you would, turn to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20, and I want you to put a mark there. It's going to take me a little while this morning to get to that. We're pretty much going to be in chapters 20, 21, 22, maybe 23. Uh, we'll see how it goes this morning. Um, so 2 Kings chapter 20. You know, it's quite common for people to suffer with some type of eyesight issue. Uh, if not from a child, certainly when you get older or have certain health conditions, you begin to have problems with eyesight. Now, one common issue is what we call being nearsighted or farsighted. You've probably heard of that and you get confused. What does that mean? Well, nearsighted means you can't see far. Um, this is what the Bureau of Motor Vehicles checks for. They want to know if you can see where you are going. <laughs> I don't think they particularly care, I mean, although you should be able to read your speedometer. It's basically, are you able to see out there and see around you and know where you're going? Now, if not, you're required to wear glasses when you drive, and that's marked on your driver's license. It is nearsighted people that they are mostly concerned about just because they can't see what's ahead of them. Farsighted means you can't see near. Reading is the big problem with this. You can no longer read the fine print. <laughs> and all the older folks with glasses, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. Many times we need to put on reader glasses, not reader, well, there are reader glasses too, but uh, generally speaking, reader glasses. My wife uses a magnifying glass. She goes around, she's got this magnifying glass. Or, lately, what we figured out is you could take a picture with your phone and do the to read what's on there. It actually works pretty good. Spiritually speaking, I would liken nearsightedness is allowing the world, the flesh, and the devil to dominate your sight. It causes you to not see where you're going and you get misdirected in life, which is the devil's plan. I remember the new phenomena of late is a little while ago that had to do with cell phone use. People walking, looking down at their cell phone and blindly running into people and it was made this big deal and I kind of laughed at because I'm, you know, I'm not the big cell phone user. Um, I thought it was kind of like a joke, uh, but it wasn't a joke and you know, I've kind of done that at times too. <laughs> Actually, the problem grows worse as people are distracted in their driving due to interaction on their cell phones. We know about that. It would not surprise me if all the facts were known that distracted driving may have killed and maimed more people than those driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol. You have tests for those. You can kind of figure that out. Cell phones are also distractions to face-to-face -face conversations with people. You can be talking to someone and they might be listening but texting at the same time. I think that's flat out rude. <laughs> but it is seemingly that it's becoming more socially acceptable. But social acceptance doesn't mean it is okay though. Remember that. What is happening is we are losing our manners in society. It was never socially acceptable in the past or 
to openly, at will, let out bodily gases, then give it slang names and laugh about it. Sure, it happens sometimes, even at the greatest of resistance, but these normal offensive bodily functions were never glorified. There was some fear of embarrassment, and when it was inadvertently happened, there was a way of handling it properly. It was a polite, excuse me, and then quietly moving on. If you take that approach today, you are quickly becoming the minority and might be considered a prude. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. We need to be concerned about nearsighted Christian living. It's corrupting our society without us even realizing that it's leading us down a bad path. We are being deceived. Cell phones have been around a lot longer than you realize. <laughs> a wife may be talking to her husband, and his mind is a million miles away from what she is communicating. Men are designed to be leaders. Their tendency is to be thinking ahead. He has a virtual cell phone in his mind. It's happening up there, where he's always doing business. <laughs> For some, it's reviewing the game or the hunt and how he could have done better. For others, it's a lingering work project or personal project that he is planning the next step on. That's how we think. In the case of being married to an engineer, it gets worse. <laughs> they thrive in deep waters. Wives don't be too hard on these guys because they brought you the dishwasher, the automatic washer, the dryer, indoor plumbing, diapers, and yes, a robot with artificial intelligence that can clean your floors for you. However, engineers have problems with what they consider shallow water conversations. They may be shallow waters, but isn't that where people come to enjoy their company? They come to the shallow waters of the beach to enjoy the ocean, throwing a frisbee, football, or playing volleyball, or playing in the sand and the waves, for some roasting in the sun, for some reason, picking up shells, enjoying the sound, the smells, the feel of the cool sand on your feet as you walk down the tidal beach, and what about the view of the vast water and broad horizons of sunrises and sunsets? Where are the far-sighted men? They're out in the deep ocean fishing for the incredible catch. Shallow waters are not their thing except to clean their fish at the dock. You smell like coconut-scented sunscreen, they smell like fish. Men's conversational skills are not their specialty. In order to navigate these shallow tidewaters of conversation that their wives bask in, <laughs> they rely on automated responses, habitual actions, and autopilot mode to manage these shallow waters. We are the inventors of the words, uh-huh, sure, yes, dear, and the automated love you. And yes, that feared automated response I gave to my boss not that long ago, <laughs> and that is embarrassing. <laughs> Oh, uh, he didn't say anything about it. I hope he didn't hear it. 
you know, I can't imagine what the wives of the great inventors of the world went through. You know, I, I suppose God gave the man an extra helping of mercy and the wives an extra helping of grace. We engineer types, especially with men who God designed to lead, are very far-sighted. So I ask you to forgive your pastor. Many times I'm way out there, and I fail to listen intently to you and give you the time that I should and to understand things. I may, I may miss greeting you or doing the little things to show that I care, and those are important. It's not an excuse for me. It is something that I need to improve on. I do want you to know that I do deeply consider your lives. I love you, and I do pray for you. And I want you to be able to come to me about anything that you would have the confidence that I would lovingly and caringly and do my best to help you with. Farsighted Christians, as well as nearsighted Christians, can be blind to the opportunities right before them. Those opportunities that I'm talking about are the open doors to engage people face-to-face in meaningful conversations. <clears throat> Nearsighted Christians are too engaged in self-absorption, the self-absorption of life that they become so much that they become misdirected in life. Here's the proof. When I was growing up, it was common for the mom to stay at home. Now it is common for the mom to go to work. Now we, we have an unusual thing here. Okay, We have the greatest amount of time-saving tools that this world has ever seen. would seem like that we would have a society more available to invest in and serve God in and through the church. But I talked last week, we see the trend is just the opposite. We are so busy in the physical world that the spiritual world is melting right before our eyes. We really need a spiritual revival for I hope you'll see kind of what that is today. It's a turning back. We need to buy some glasses to see how far off the path we have gotten. This is the first step for revival. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Revival, revival, folks, listen to this, is like salvation in that it's not a group event. We tend to think of it in that way. It is an individual event. When 3,000 were saved at Pentecost, it was not a single event. It was 3,000 individual events happening at near or close to the same time. If you say... Can we have a revival today? That is totally up to each of us individually. Revival is a personal decision, a decision you can't afford not to miss. It's a decision that will positively affect your family, your church, your neighbor, your community, your state, your country, even this world. Revival is as near is one simple decision that you have complete control of. We in America ought to be the most giving people in the world. But what, what, you know what we are known for? We're known for the most consuming 
nation of the world. We are the place to sell things to. That's what we are. That's what the world looks at us for. The place to afford more things if you go there. We love our things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the things that can cause spiritual blindness. Have you ever noticed the movement of around the world to engage people without having to face them? We connect with text, email, social media, streaming services, talk radio. We have gaming computers to engage in virtual competitions, online dating, TikTok challenges, and on we go down the road, not realizing where we are headed. All these things, which could be useful tools, have become toys of addiction. It has not been that long ago since we had cell phones. Today, cell phones are obsolete to new versions about every six months. A new $1,000 phone tops the Christmas I once and I get for kids. Man, I'm glad I didn't have $1,000 a pop for a kid, man. That's why you have only have two or three kids, you know, these days. Did you ever notice the virtual church promotion during COVID? Did you know that church attendance is worse than it's ever been since then? I kind of hear all the time, it's, well, you know, I can get the streaming services. You know. <laughs> Today I want to preach a message entitled, Have You Had Your Eyes Checked Lately? Have you had your eyes checked lately? Let's pray. Father, there's individuals here, Lord, that need an individual message. I'm preaching a single message. I pray that your Holy Spirit would turn it into an individual message, particular message for each one here, wherever their need is, wherever you're trying to reach them and you're trying to speak to them through your Holy Spirit. May you do that today. Well, thank you for maybe it's, it's only by your spirit. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit move today in the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Nearsightedness and farsightedness is dangerous Christianity. Now turn to 2 Kings chapter 20 in the place that you've marked. We're going to begin in verse 1 here in just a moment. We'll be looking at three generational kings of the split Israel nation of Judah. We're going to be looking at Hezekiah who in the theme of the message is nearsighted. He was a good king. A very good king. We're going to look at his son Manasseh, who was born and died spiritually blind. He was a bad king. And Manasseh's son, who was farsighted, Yet when he approached with his nearsight blindness, we're going to be talking about Josiah here. 
when he was approached with his nearsight blindness, and, and, and you'll, you'll get it as we go down through here, did what was necessary to heal it. And he was a great king, a good king, a wicked king, and a great king. Now, King Hezekiah was a very good king. It's amazing. You read the story of Hezekiah, you say, good guy. But he was nearsighted. Chapter 20 begins at the end of a good king's life. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, in verse 1. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee, in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord. And I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city. Why? For mine own sake. And then listen what he says also. And for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, take a lump of figs, and they took it, laid it on the boil, and he recovered. That makes me scared of boils. (laughs) And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up unto the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, this sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken, Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees? That's an interesting answer from Hezekiah. (laughs) Hezekiah answered, it's a light thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward, by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. At that time, Berodah, Shalbaldan, whatever that is, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasure. There was nothing in his house nor all in all his dominion, that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto the king Hezekiah, and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in my house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. Now, I won't have you turn there, but in Second Chronicles, you have a little bit of 
little bit more added into this. It says, In those days Hezekiah was sick unto death and prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Look at all I got. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem, albeit in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left, God left him, listen to why, to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. Hmm. Verse 16, back in 2 Kings. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And listen to this. And of thy sons that issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. Wow. And he said, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? That's some short-sightedness there. And the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made a pool and a conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And it says, and Hezekiah slept with his fathers. And here we go. Here's the next guy. And Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. When we refuse to view life past uh, our own life, we don't have a vision and we're not working toward it. It's all we think about is how it's going to be in our day. We could very well pay for it in our children. That's sad. The goodness of our life, folks, is to be paid forward to the next generation. There is no resting place here. This is a fight. You understand that? This life is a fight to the end. And the next generation doesn't get to sit back. They fight. That's what it's about. Now Manasseh was neither nearsighted or farsighted. He was actually totally spiritually blind. 2 Kings chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign and reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. After the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove. This is one generation. As did Ahab king of Israel and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord 
of which the Lord said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And listen to this. And he made his sons pass through the fire. Molech, an idol. They would take their children and burn them before the idol. And he observed times. He used enchantments, dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger and set a graven image on the grove that he made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Manasseh ranks at the top of the worst kings ever in Judah. The son of the good king, Hezekiah. But what did Hezekiah care? He was not concerned for anything but his own life because he was a nearsighted Christian. It says, now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did verse 17, and a sin that he sinned, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house, in the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon his son reigned in his stead. Now, Ammon was 20 and 2 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 2 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Meshalometh, the daughter of Heraz of Jotha. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and as, as his father Manasseh did. And he walked in all the way that his father walked in, and served the idols that his father served, and worshipped them. And he forsook the Lord God of his fathers, and walked not in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and slew the king in his own house. Find that quite often with evil people. <laughs> and the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah his king in his stead. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon which he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the king of Judah? And he was buried in his sepulcher, in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah, his son, reigned in his stead. And I'll tell you what, see here, hey, it's a personal choice for everybody. But we ought to be examples of all our kids to make the right choice in every way possible that we can. It's not only nearsighted Christians that are blind to spiritual opportunity, but also those who suffer with farsightedness. Josiah was far, which is a good thing. He could see off. It says Josiah found out that he was farsightedness, but he corrected this where his nation was going. But he did not see near until it was revealed to him. And he applied the cure. He got glasses so he could read the fine print. He received the instructions 
on the medicine bottle, so to say, and applied it properly. And because of his personal revival, in the position he was in, the nation of Judah experienced a generational revival. It's amazing. It's not just a story. We need this today. 2 Kings 22, beginning in verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adai, the Bosketh. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And listen to this. Listen to this statement, because the rest of them say they did like their fathers. And he had a father, and there were some good fathers in the past. But he says, and walked in all the way of David his father he went back to the very basis and foundation of kings of the truth and went all the way back there that's what he was identified for he said and turn not aside to the right hand or to the left and it came to pass in the 18th year of king Josiah, that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the priest, that, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair, repair the breaches of the house unto carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house listen to this verse what a glory Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully you gotta trust these guys and Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Achor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the scribe and Asahai, a servant of the king, saying, he says this, Go ye and inquire of the Lord for me and the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found reading the fine print here it's about to get his nearsighted the great for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book and, and if you listen close this morning to what brother Mike was saying to do according unto all that is which is written concerning us. 
So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asai went unto Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they communed with her. You know who they went concerning this problem with farsightedness or not being able to see near? They went to the person who was an expert of vision. The eye doctor, you might say. In this case, the prophets, or particularly a prophetess in this case. In our case, it's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show me what this means. I am bothered in my spirit. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place, and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, Thus saith the Lord of God of Israel, touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender. And thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou hearest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hath rent thy clothes and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Now for time's sake, I want to skip down to verse 25 of 2 Kings chapter 23. Verse 25, 2 Kings chapter 23. Now you should take the time to read all of the specifics of what King Josiah did. You, you need to do that. You need to see the depths of it, of what he did. And you need to ask yourself some questions. Verse 25, it said, And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. A good king, a wicked king, and a great king. Have you ever looked into the mirror of God's word to be fully checked? Have you listened to the eye doctor, the Holy Spirit of God, for the cure? And are you following his orders? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Pianists come into play. This is a serious thing to think about. And if you want a hero in your life, in the Bible, this would be a good one. Josiah. He was willing look at his life and to make whatever changes and to seek God with all his heart. Hezekiah, a good king, but was nearsighted, caring not what his children would face. 
his children to live in wickedness, his grandchildren sacrificed by fire to a wicked idol. Parents, don't you settle for a good life here and a life of ease. Sacrifice yourself that you may not see your grandchildren or your children sacrificed to idols. Are you living for you? Now think about this and what your goals and the things in life are. Or are you living beyond you? Are you nearsighted? Are you living a nearsighted Christian life? Or are you like Manasseh today? Completely blind. Just not saved. And you know it. Needing to be saved. Should God be pressing on your heart? You can solve that today. That is you. That's you needing to be saved. Just come to me. Come to someone in here and and tell them that. Or do you stand in the need before the Lord like Josiah today? And because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake, and hast rent thy clothes, and wept before me, it says here, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. That's the position you're in. Folks, we, we want to tell ourselves good things. Look into the word, Josiah, when he heard it, he said, we're not doing all what the Lord told us to do. We are in trouble. I am in trouble. This place is in trouble. And then humble yourself. Amen. Thank you for your attention this morning. You know, we're getting into a building project. We need to have the right vision. Where there's no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Two things I see here. There's a vision, and we need to see what that vision is. And, and, and let me tell you that the vision is, it'll be a blessing to have a nicer place and an easier place to work with. but so people don't perish. Okay? There's, there's a couple of things. To win the lost and then to teach. Man, I hope you see that vision. To teach our children. To teach. To win people to the Lord. That's got to be what this building's all about. We don't need to be nearsighted. We don't need to be farsighted. We need to see both near and far in this. The other thing I see in this says, and the last part of that verse, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. We need to be doing it right now. It's not something, it's a daily thing, happy, serving, serving God. We need to go in serving, and we just will be going into serving in a greater way as we move forward.
So I hope you will share in that vision and will be excited about where we're going and what we're doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your uh, blessings in life. Thank you for each family here. May we've been challenged today in our lives, Lord, to do great things, to, to see revival in, in our own personal life, to see a revival in our church, to see a revival in our area, to see a revival in this country, to see a revival in this world. It can happen to believe and, and to live accordingly with that hope. But it starts with an individual. And I pray that we would say we will be that individual. Now, Father, just ask for a good day today, Lord God, that we may glorify you and be drawn closer to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.